things are not okay. There's so much in this world when you start really learning more and more about what happens in the world, it can actually start to crush a person if there is no hope in sight. You turn on the news and all it is is just bad news. Uh, And you start realizing very quickly things are not okay. People get murdered over the smallest things. Children are getting abused, neglected, or abandoned. Kids are sold into sex trafficking where they're raped multiple times a day, and they're sold so their family can get a few more meals uh, or keep the roof over their head for another week. People forsaking their families so that they can get high. Groups of people brutally killed because they believe something different or look different. You have cancer, you have death, you have sickness. Things are not okay. And it breaks my heart knowing that some of you have gone in just your young age have already experienced more than most grown adults. And I want to just say, you guys are not troubled kids. You guys are survivors. And and you have had to go through some horrendous things, some stuff that no one should ever have had or gone through, especially at a young age. And you've had to learn, you had coping mechanisms, and you've had to learn, and you're having to now learn, unlearn some of those stuff that helped you survive those difficult times. To, to learn these new and healthier behaviors patterns to cope with difficulties. And I know this because... I myself, when I was a young age, had to go through a very traumatic experience, and I was not aware of it, and it caused a lot of havoc in my own family and in my own life until I started putting it together and rewiring my brain through God's help. But the bottom line is is that things are not okay. Things are are so not okay that even when you do the right thing, bad things happen, right? You, you, You step up and you take a stand, you're doing the right thing, and you get punished, Friends betray you, you get kicked out, you lose a job, you lose your life. Things are not okay. And here's the thing, we should know this and expect this as Christians who read our Bibles. We shouldn't be surprised by any of this, but it still hurts. It's hard and we struggle. We know that this is the result of sin and you and me and all of us. This is the result of a fallen world, what it looks like, but it still doesn't make it any easier and we also know that there is hope that Jesus is, uh, came, and he lived, and he died, and he's alive again today. He rose from the dead. He's sitting in heaven. We have that hope of being able to spend eternity with him. But in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the darkness, it's really hard to see through, to see that light, to see that hope. When all seems lost, we feel like a ship at sea being tossed back and forth by the waves with no end in sight. It's like a fog comes over our mind and we can't see clearly through. And when everything closes in, it's natural for us to start questioning everything from our faith to who we are. Questioning is just natural. And doubt, listen, doubt is okay. Doubt is a good thing if if it leads us towards Jesus and to get the answers. When doubt uh, left unchecked, uh, it becomes unbelief. If we allow that doubt just to say, you know what, 
this is not true and we move on, then that becomes the bad thing. But if doubt, true doubt, should drive us to find the answers, like, why is this happening? What is going on? Are you real, God? Do you hear me? And those are the times that we should be driven to find those answers. Because here's the thing, as things get darker, followers of Jesus go deeper. The, the harder things get, the darker things get, Christians, followers of Jesus, they realize that that is the time to go deeper, that God is calling us to something more. He's doing the pruning process, so we have to, we have to go deeper and draw closer to Jesus. And we find, uh, we find we become more immovable as the waves crash upon us. As we go deeper with Him, as we draw closer to Him, that's when we become immovable. And that's what our whole series is about, is about becoming immovable. And it's all about drawing closer to Jesus, coming closer to Him, and allowing Him to be our rock. And this is where I want us all to be, because here's the thing. I wish I could say that life is going to get easier, but as we're going to find out, as we go through 2 Timothy, and as you read your Bibles, and as you just are watching the trends from the past several years, you're going to recognize that life isn't going to get any easier. It's going to get harder. And I want you guys not to be that ship tossed at the sea, but to become immovable. God has, is already doing something, has already been doing something to get you to that point. That no matter what, we remain immovable in our allegiance to Jesus, and we stand tall for Him, even if it means our life. We're in 2 Timothy, and in, in, in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing from prison because of his faith and boldness of Jesus. Because the faith... Following Jesus isn't going to lead you to the paradise uh, in this world. It is going to lead to hardship. Is when you are when he is following Jesus, it led him in direct conflict with the world, and that's why he ended up in prison. And he knows that his death is on the horizon. First Timothy. When we went through that, we kind of remember the whole dynamic of how he would kind of. He would address Timothy, then he would address the church, then he'd go back to Timothy. It was like a tennis match, right? He kind of went back and forth. In 2 Timothy, what we're going to find is that Paul is focused on Timothy and Timothy alone. But as he's talking to Timothy, he's, he's also talking to us. And there's a lot that we can apply to our own lives as well. It's kind of like at church on uh, Kids Sunday when our Pastor Nick calls everybody, all the kids up, right? He's talking to the kids, but all the adults are listening in too. The same thing's happening here, is that Paul's addressing Timothy, but he's also talking and giving us advice too, so that we become immovable. Second, uh, this is the passing of the torch is what we're seeing. We're seeing the commander giving orders, but more, it's more of a father in his last moments with his son. It's very tender, but he's also firm. Paul writes this while in a Roman prison awaiting his execution, and he remains, even though it's the darkness, there is no light there, it seems he is still immovable, and he calls Timothy to do the same. You would think that if you're in prison and you know you're about to die, hey, listen, don't follow my path. Don't, don't do it. You need to find a different path. Don't end up where I'm at type thing. But Paul doesn't do that. He tells Timothy, hey, stand firm. Do not waver. Do not be ashamed of me in this cell. In fact, you should strive to maybe join me here. 
And as we journey through, we will find some principles that we need to develop now, hopefully, before the storm to become immovable. But even if you are in a storm this instant, these things can still be implemented right now. That's in our passage today. Uh, We're going to look, I'm going to pull out four principles, four things that when we get into those dark times, we need to remember to do. And if we can start putting them into practice now, it'll help us when those storms come. So 2 Timothy 3, I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll go back verse by verse. 2 Timothy 1, 3 uh, through 5. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that the same faith continues strong in you. So verse 3, he says, Timothy, I thank God for you. There's a sense of thankfulness here. In this, it, and this is where we get our first principle, that discipline, we have to have this discipline of focusing on blessings and not good, and the good in those dark times. We have to search for it. We see Paul here, he's giving praise while he's in prison. The gallows are right there, and he is giving praise. He's thanking God for Timothy. And we're going to see this throughout, that he has this sense of just thankfulness. And it, this is the first thing we have to do to become immovable. We have to search for the good. Because when all that darkness closes in, it's really easy to focus on the dark and the bad things. But we have to change our views, and we have to search for the good. It's kind of like that, uh, where's Waldo, right? I love those things, and you're searching through, and you see all the mess and chaos type thing, and you're trying to find Waldo in all that chaos. And the same thing happens when we're in that dark prison of our lives that we have to search for the good. It's like changing your glasses, your lenses here. When all that darkness closes in, these are the glasses you need to be wearing, not your sunshades. Because when you're wearing your shades in the dark, it's even harder to see that light. And so we have to make sure that we don't get to the point where we just get so caught up in focusing on the negative, the negative, and the negative, because it's going to change the way that we view things. It's going to change not only the way that we view things, but the way that we ourselves behave. So we have to keep those clear glasses on and be able to focus on and focus on the good. This is nothing new for Paul to be praising in in prison. If you remember Acts 16, he's in prison and he's singing worship songs in prison. And then a great earthquake comes and sets the prisoners free and the jailer's about to kill himself. And Paul says, hey, don't do that. We're all still here type thing, and the jailer comes to Jesus, and all of his family comes to Jesus and is baptized. Praising in prison, it is possible. In fact, that's when oftentimes the praise is the most genuine because you realize that you worship God for who he is, not what he does or does not do. We worship God for his character, not because of our circumstances. If you only can worship and sing your heart out to God when things are good, then I have to question, are you actually worshiping God or your own self? 
We worship God because of his character and what he does and that he's above us. He's, his thoughts are above us. He, there's, no, he's, there's no comparison between us and him, and yet he allows us to have a relationship with him. That's why we worship. That's why we sing. And it all, that develops a sense of thankfulness so that we can praise in prison. And he said, goes on and says, The God I serve with a clear conscience. Clear conscience. Paul, you're in prison, all right? I mean, every prison in America, everybody says, I'm innocent, I didn't do it, all right? The prisons are full of innocent people. And Paul's here is making this thing saying, I've got a clear conscience. In this case, he really was. He had done nothing truly wrong. And the lesson here is that doing the right thing is always the right thing, no matter the consequences. The, Jesus has told us, they hated me, they're going to hate you if you follow me. So we shouldn't be surprised by it. And so we have to realize where you have to do the right thing, what God calls us to do, no matter what. And if, if the people won't stand with us, so be it. But we have to stand with God. He says, just as my ancestors did. And this is where we get our second principle of ways to stand firm and movable. We have to take courage knowing that we are not alone. When those difficulties come, it says, in fact, you're joining a long line of godly men and women who were and are persecuted. Knowing that today, this very moment, that we have brothers and sisters around the globe who are being persecuted in prison, their life has come to an end because they would not waver. They were immovable with Jesus, for Jesus. That happens today, but we also have to look at our great lineage ahead, uh, that we are following. 1 Peter 4.14 says, If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. The world would say, hey, when hardship comes, that means you're in the wrong. right? You must have done something wrong for this bad thing to start happening to you. That's not always the case. In fact, even Jesus said in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, he said, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Luke 6, he says kind of the same thing. He says, What a blessing awaits you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. And I'm going to continue reading on. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. And here's the thing, is that we, again... Our frame of mind is that when hardship comes, it means we must have done something wrong. And that's where we have to have that clear conscience of staying in step with the Spirit because He will guide us in truth and light. And yes, it might mean that we go in the, against the grain, but in the end, we're with Jesus. And He goes on and says, What sorrow awaits those who are rich, for you have uh, your own, only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and properous now for a time of awful hunger awaits you? 
What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. And here's the thing. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestor also praised the false prophets. Sometimes, maybe if we're not having that difficulty, if we're not having that pushback, that should make us more concerned, saying, am I following Jesus? Am I in step with him? Because I'm not feeling that opposition. I'm not in being opposed and being mocked and cursed and lied about. Acts 5.41, the apostles left the high council rejoicing. They have just been flogged, but they left there rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. The great uh, Hall of Fame chapter, chapter of faith, uh, Hebrews 11. I'm going to skip down to verse 32. says, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jethan, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. I mean, that sounds like a victorious thing. Hey, they had that battle, but they, they overcame. And it can, can maybe make us think, hey, everything's going to turn out okay, but that's not always the case because we read on. But others, they were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. They were too good for this world. We would look at that and be like, man, you must have really messed up and done something. But The Bible says, no, they were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves, holes in the ground. When you're going through the difficulty and trials, think about the company you're joining. And here's and then in that, think about this, that your name might be counted in the Faith Hall of Fame. I mean, can you just picture that? Here, that, hey, by taking the stand, even as difficult as it is, as though I, even though I can't see the light, that my name is going to be added to that account with the rest of those who took this step of faith. Know that you join a line of others. He goes on and says, Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. He says, I long to see you. I long to see you again. For I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. The third thing that we need when we get from this is that we need a battle buddy. We need someone that is going to lock arms with us that we can battle through this with. And here's the thing is that we see this throughout Scripture with David and Jonathan and, and others, that the Spirit of God connects His people. And there is a deep connection here that is only formed through those that suffer together and go through the battle together. 
when you've gone through difficulty, when you've gone through that trying time, that refining time, that pruning time, and you've come out on the other side with your battle buddy, there's this bond that is formed, that is unbreakable. There's a handful of people that I can say instantly, I knew that we were of the same cloth, that we got each other because of the same spirit that was in me was in them, and we see each other, or see things the same way. We're able to kind of just have that deep bond that only God can bring about. And we see this in this passage, that Paul and Timothy had this kind of connection, that he longed to see them, that to the point where when Paul had to go away, there was tears as they parted. And there's this longing to come back together for the joy, all right? It's like the long-lost friend. We just pick right up where we left off. Here's the thing with persecution and suffering. It is a terrible thing. It is something that we should try to do all that we can to live at peace, right? But there comes a time when you have to take that stand. You have to remain immovable. And the persecution and suffering that comes, while it is bad physically, it's actually a good thing because it unites those that are real and it exposes the fakes. It's God's way of pruning off his people, of pruning away those that are going to bear true fruit. Verse 5, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that the same faith continues in you. Paul is calling Timothy to remember where he's come from. And that's the fourth thing, is that we need to remember what God has done in the past. Where we have come from, where he has, looked at, where he has come through for us in the past. If nothing in that moment, if you can't see any light in that very moment when you're in that dark dungeon, if you can't see the light, then you need to start maybe looking at the past and look at how God has walked and provided so much in the past. If he got you through, then he isn't going to stop now. He's, he's gotten you through so many other things that, hey, I didn't think I was going to overcome that, and look, here I am. And I don't, I, I don't know what, how I'm going to get through this, but here I am. Do not give up. Hold on. Do not become the weak link that severs the legacy that is happening. Become immovable by focusing on the goodness of God, worshiping Him alongside your battle buddy, and remembering what He's already done. But I know it's easier said than done, especially when in prison. When you're in that dark time and all seems lost, it's so hard to keep that focus to remain immovable. And in prison, you start wondering, all right? You start, when you get in this prisons of life and hardship, persecution, suffering, you start wondering, you start thinking about things. You're like, hey, did I get this wrong? What happened here? This reminds me of the story in Luke 7. John the Baptist, it says, the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing, all right? So what was Jesus doing? Well, he was healing people, but he was also, you got to realize here that they're John and Jesus, right? John, he's kind of that eccentric homeschool kid that we all have that stereotype in our mind, right? He had the, the, he lived out in the wilderness, he ate locusts and honey, he wore camel's hair. I mean, he was, he was that guy. And then you have Jesus over here who's, who's claiming to be the Messiah, but 
while John is out here in the desert calling the broods of snakes to the religious leaders and, and calling out everybody, Jesus is over here, and he's hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes and going to their houses and to their parties. And he's not eating just locusts and honey. He's eating all the food. And so he starts hearing about this, and he's like, starts questioning. He's like, but why? Like, this doesn't compute. Like, you would think that God would be maybe more over on this side than on this side. Like, what is going on here? That, so the doubt starts creeping into John's mind. He's like, hey, here I am. I'm in prison because of you, Jesus I, I took that stand, I did everything for you, and here I am in prison. So his disciples told him everything that Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? John, remember, John had given a testimony earlier saying that, Hey, when Jesus was baptized, God spoke from heaven, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. I, and this was God's sign that this is who it is, but now he's ha- starting to have this doubt, so he's seeking out this answer. John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Because the reports I'm hearing don't seem to match up with what I was expecting. My expectations are not being met, Jesus. You're not meeting my expectations, so what, what, what gives here? And the doubt is creeping in. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Instead of just giving a clear answer, right? Jesus doesn't just say, yes, I am the Messiah. Tell John to hold on. Instead, he goes, hold on. And he goes and he starts opening up people's eyes, allowing the deaf to hear, casting out demons. And he just goes about, and so he's showing them, hey, look at what I'm doing. I'm going to be you eyewitness testimony. testimony right now. You can see what I'm doing. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. So Jesus says, hey, go back, tell them what you've seen, what you've heard. And tell him, God blesses those that don't turn away because of me. Don't fall away. Don't allow the doubt to creep in. Keep the darkness at bay. Keep your focus on the light. But here's the thing. As after Jesus, John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowd. He says, what kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was it a weak weed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. I mean, here's... You think that Jesus would have maybe said those words while John's disciples were there, right? So that, John, hey, listen, this is what Jesus said, this is what he did, and then, hey, look, listen to what he said about you. Like, he, he, he thinks a lot of you type thing, so hold in there type thing. Jesus doesn't say that to his disciples while they're there. 
But Jesus sees John. He knows John. He, he understands John's dilemma, and he's saying, you just got to hold on. You got to put your faith in practice. It's really easy to put your faith in practice when things are good. But when things get bad, when things get really rough, that is when the real faith comes in. But listen to this. I tell you the truth. No, all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. But then he follows it up. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about you. He's talking about me. Jesus is saying that even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. You are greater than John the Baptist. And the reason that you're greater than John the Baptist is that the whole point, all the Old Testament, is that all the prophets wanted to live in Jesus' time, the Messiah's time. It was all looking towards that. And the proximity to the Messiah is what brought about the greatness. And so that's why he says, none has been greater than John, because John is here. He declared me, and I showed up. I'm here, and he did his message faithfully. But what brings about the greatness in the kingdom of God is our proximity to Jesus. And we can't get any closer than Jesus living in us, his spirit in us. That is what makes us great. Nothing that we've done, nothing that we do, but it's our proximity to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, listen, you got to know who you are in those dark times, and you got to cling to me. And you have to lean upon the spirit that is in you, and I will get you through this. I will get you through this dark dungeon. I will get you through this tough time. But you have to hold on. You have to lean upon the spirit of God. And the spirit of God in you equips you and allows you to remain immovable. You are not strong enough on your own. And that is okay. You have Jesus. Actually, he has you. You are in the hands of the creator, the one who brought everything together, the one who holds all things together and is working all things to his glory, and he will see his will will be done. And you are resting in his hands, and he will help you be immovable in the storm. And the outside may be raging storm, and the waves might be crashing in, but inside your very heart and soul, there is a calmness, a stillness, a peace that transcends all understanding. And thus you can be and remain immovable. You got to look to Jesus. You got to cling to him and surrender and allow him to cling to you.